Hey, everybody. Join us as we delve into our favorite dark tales and paranormal mysteries. Venture with us beyond the safe places that exist in daylight as we go Beyond Beyond the the shadows. Shadows. True crime. Paranormal. Hauntings. UFOs. Cryptids and unsolved mysteries. Conspiracy theories. Past lives. Reincarnation. And all the like are just a few of the topics that we will tackle. If it haunts your fucking dreams, then it will be on our show. Hi, and welcome back to Beyond the Shadows, episode 59. Welcome back, Shadow People. So actually, to start it off this week, I just wanted to give a shout out to some of our uh, podcast family out there. You guys have heard us mention them before. If you're looking for a good podcast to go listen to, you can check out any of these here. We've got The Spiritual Sisters. Suspended Sentence. All Things Outrageously Dark, Scary, Beautiful, and Totally True. One Nothing. Like Mother Like Murder, who we're doing a collaboration with here, coming up real soon. Coming up, we're excited about that. Yeah, we got uh, Tales, Trails, and Tavern, The Haunted and the Strange, Twisted and Uncorked, and Cryptid Creeps and Conspiracies. So you want to check out any of those. There's a bunch of others, too. It's just the list is so long, I can't list them all. But these are the ones that we uh, do the most with. Sure. Great people, great shows. You guys should definitely check them out. Yeah, actually... Uh, just the other day, I got a message from uh, Kelly from All Things Outrageous. Yeah. Yeah, I get a message from – it's actually a missed call. Get like two missed calls like right in a row, and then underneath it, it just says, help. So instantly, <clears throat> I'm thinking, you think obviously like – actual emergency? Yeah, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking it's going to be like a hostage situation or something, right? I'm thinking – and it's it's Kelly, so you know she's shady. You know she can't call the cops. She's into something. <laughs> what did deep. she get into? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she knows you and me are the ones yep. to turn to. She's like, <laughs> and so I'm thinking, well, fuck. I, ca- I tried calling her a couple times, and she didn't answer. I'm like, well, fuck. Now we got to drive all the way she's out. She's like, I got mixed up yeah. with the wrong people. Who do I call? <laughs> exactly. Brian and Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of the movie Taken, and she's, like, she's hiding under the bed. We have a particular like, set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> Talking shit. <laughs> So, actually, I tried calling her, and she didn't answer. But then just a little bit later, I, I get a call. I'm like, oh, shit. I answer it real quick. And I can see the look on her face when she sees it's me that answers. It's like, fuck, I wanted to talk to Ryan. And I get, <laughs> she saw my dumb face, and she's like, god damn it. She had a problem with Riverside, oh, you know, yeah, the recording yeah. shit. Yeah. And she needed to talk to Ryan, not Scott. The tech guy. I can see the disappointment in her face. As soon as it, as soon as it turned on and she saw it was me. She's Last like, time he saw that, he proposed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. So, that's how that went. So what are we doing in the news today, bud? Uh, so I think it's about a week or so ago. A guy in Brazil, he, had, he has a dream. The dream went back about a year. And so his dream told him that untold riches lie buried just beneath his kitchen floor. <laughs> yeah. Just, there's pictures to this. And I, I'll have Ryan send it to me so I he, can uh, He was told. Them. Yeah, he was told this by a spirit. In his so dream. The, yeah, the spirit told him. 
So that's how this relates to, to our show. <laughs> so he did what any of us would have done in that situation, and he dug a big-ass hole in his kitchen floor. Uh, and he kept right on digging. Yeah. When I say big-ass hole, I mean a big-ass hole. Was, well, the thing is, is, the hole actually wasn't that big. It was fucking deep. Yeah, just a little bit. It, what, what, was the, what was the dimensions of the hole? Um, you have that? Yeah, I do. So the, it ended up being 130 feet deep. Okay, 130 feet deep. How big around was all? Um, that doesn't say. I, by the I, looks of I the, saw the pictures. I'm guessing five feet. It yeah, wasn't, wasn't by the looks of the pictures, pictures, it's not very big around. I'm going to try to pronounce his name. Uh, Owaho. I think it was Waho Pimenta. <clears throat> so at one point when he started digging, he paid his neighbors uh, $70 a day, which is quite a bit because he's not a wealthy guy, uh-huh. uh, to help him excavate. As the, the hole got deeper... He was offering them as much as $500 a day. That's a lot of money. And he was convinced that he, the, the riches were just like the money pit. The, uh-huh. you know, show the mysteries of the money pit. You know, always think it's just a, a little, little bit further. further. Yeah. You so, know what I thought was so weird about this is the spirits told him it was under his kitchen floor. He, drives a, he digs a five-foot hole. He goes down eight, ten feet, and he doesn't find it. He doesn't think maybe I missed it by three inches and like move over. Spirits no, are like, he no, just keeps man, digging down deeper. straight. You didn't want it enough. Keep yeah. digging. <laughs> it's like, it, what if it's like right there and you yeah. miss? Nope, he just kept digging straight down. <laughs> I'm not giving up. You don't dude. veer to the left or no, right just a little nothing. bit. No, no, nope. straight line. No, I think it's about 137 <laughs> feet. Did I say 128? <laughs> so at one point, he reaches a big ass rock. Uh, so he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't go around. Nope. He breaks out the dynamite. Now, the neighbors love that. Yeah. I mean, nothing helps a little <laughs> village like dynamite. <laughs> so, unfortunately, the quest ended uh, last week when he fell into his own fucking hole. <laughs> <laughs> what is he, sleepwalk, go to the kitchen to get a snack out of the fridge? <laughs> Grab a quick glass of OJ and down the shaft he goes. Uh, we probably shouldn't be laughing, but I mean, still, oh, what man, do you think is going to happen? I'm you dig sorry. A fucking this hole is, in your kitchen this is stupid. This it, is, it's very stupid. Yeah. If we laugh, we laugh. So uh, I was thinking as I was writing down my notes. So, I mean, the guy dies, obviously. So it's about to hit the real estate market. Now, if you're the realtor, how do you put a spin on this one? Is it gonna, <laughs> it's got antique cabinetry, <laughs> tile black backsplash, and a mine shaft. <laughs> Just waiting for your creative touches to finish it off. It could yeah. be a butler's pantry. <laughs> Did we mention the well in the or, kitchen? Or a sarlacc pit. <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> Look, you can put a trap door and kill all your enemies. You don't have to wash dishes anymore. Just chuck them in the hole. Right? You could be Buffalo Bill. <laughs> it puts a lotion on the skin. <laughs> Whatever it's told, or else it gets the hose. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So, that one didn't work out so well. Uh, what's the other story we got? Um so for all psychics oh, yeah. and anybody with paranormal, supernatural, or occult power, I believe we have some of those in our yes. in our listeners, uh, there could be $500,000 in it for you. Uh, the Los Angeles-based CFIIG group, it uh, stands for Center for Inquiry Investigations Group. Uh, they say their aim is to, quote, Spread a plague of skepticism across the world. So, if you can prove your abilities in a controlled setting, you can get a half a million dollars. You know, they're going to have to set up a different test for every different person that comes in there. 
Yeah, I, I guess they definitely would. Uh, they don't get into that too much in the article. So uh, to get through the preliminaries, you have to either send them a video or whatever. In, of what you can or, do. Or yeah. in person, a real, just a demonstration. It's not a controlled setting of what you can do. But to grab the prize... Once they find out what you can do or what you claim to do, they'll set up a controlled environment. And then you have to do it again. I think their exact words were like on command so it doesn't have to be – You know, you think about it this. It can't be on your terms. You think about this. This is like the safest bet they could ever make because no matter what somebody does and proves their shit, they're going to say something to disprove it. You know, because some of this stuff is so – beyond what people can understand or whatever it's so easy for them to say no nah, that's not real and I, and how are you going to prove them wrong you're going to take them to court you know yeah I don't this know. is the easiest bet ever you know we're gonna i'll, I'll do it for a million how's that i'd give it a shot i'll go in there and just guess <laughs> i have no abilities to do anything. some of those flashcards with like the wavy lines and shit like you're doing a ghostbusters i'll yeah, just right? guess i'll take There's a, a shot. Star. star i'll take a shot uh, so anyone who even refers the person that wins, they would get five thousand dollars. Oh, well, wow. there you go. Well, we're referring all of you guys. Yeah, go win us half a million. Oh, five thousand. It doesn't count. But I once dated a girl who could instantly suck all the fun and good vibes out of any room <laughs> the second she walked in. I don't know if that's considered that's a, a superpower. I don't, I don't consider. <laughs> I'll give you her name if that can get me the five thousand. Yeah, them are them energy vampires for yeah. sure. Instant vibe killer she was. <laughs> it's a superpower. Yeah, it is. Uh, so that's the news for this week. Uh, what do you get going on for us? Well, this week we're gonna uh, dive into a little stuff about uh, Sean Diddy Combs. We're gonna call this one Diddy or Dindy. Oh, nice. This is gonna be a two-parter, so uh, a buckle up. Excellent. We're gonna get right to it. Thanks for listening, guys. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? All right. Sean Combs. Sean John. Sean Puffy Combs. Puffy. Puff Daddy. P. Diddy. Diddy. Sean Diddy Combs. Brother Love. (laughs) And Love. Man of many names, huh? These are the names he goes by. So, well, I'm Scott. Scotty D, Big Daddy, <laughs> Big Daddy Longstroke, Big Dick, The Enforcer, <laughs> a.k.a. The Left Shoe Bandit. Let's do this. <laughs> Sean Combs was Just born- implicated himself. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think the time has lapsed on this one. I think I'm safe. I don't know how long it is. For, There's know, no B&E. statute of limit- limitations on that creepy shit. I'm stealing shit. left shoes. <laughs> If it was the right one, I'd be yeah. right. If you're doubly stupid, they, they stretch it out longer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sean Combs was born November 4th, 1969. Born in Harlem, born in a Harlem neighborhood of New York City, Sean John Combs spent his formative years in Mount Vernon, New York. His mother, Janice Combs, played dual roles as a model and a teacher's assistant, while his father, Melvin Earl Combs served in the U.S. Air Force and had connections to the convicted New York drug dealer, Frank Lucas. Tragedy, tragically, at the age of 33, Melvin was fatally shot while sitting in the car at Central Park West when Sean was just two years old. Maybe he's lacking that father figure in his life. Frank was Lucas it? was an American gangster, right? Yep. Yeah, I remember that. Completing his education, Combs graduated from Mount St. Michael's Academy in 
1987. During his time there, he was actively involved in football, contributing to the team's division title victory in 1986. As a child, he acquired the name Puff due to his tendency to huff and puff when angry. He's a little pissy bitch, is what it was. You remember those little kids that would go, oh, yeah. when they got mad? Yeah. <laughs> you were one of them, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> While initially pursuing a business major at Howard University, Combs left after his sophomore year. In 2014, he did make a return to Howard University to receive an honorary doctorate in humanities and deliver the commencement address of the university's 146th graduation ceremony. He was an American rapper, music producer, record executive, and actor hailing from Harlem. Combs initially served as a talent director at Uptown Records. This is where he started, before establishing his own record label, Bad Boy Records, in 1993. He was renowned for his role in shaping artists like the notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, Mary J. Blige, Blige, Usher, Combs had an impact on the music scene. It's just undeniable. His debut album, No Way Out, in 1997, achieved a remarkable seven-times platinum certification. Subsequently, he released uh, Forever in 1999. The saga, con- the saga continues in 2001. Press Play, 2006. We continued to showcase his musical prowess in 2009. Combs ventured into the musical group with uh, Dirty Money, collaborating with singers uh, Kalena Harper, Don Richardson, and their album Last Train to Paris. September 2023 marked the release of his fifth studio album, The Love Album, Off the Grid. Accumulating accolades... Combs both three Grammy Awards, two MTV Music Awards, and the role of producer on MTV's Making the Band. Beyond Music, I'm sorry, Making the Band, Beyond Music. He found, founded the clothing retail Sean John in 1998, earning recognition in the fashion industry and winning the Council of Fashion Designer of America Award for Menswear Designer of the Year in 2004. Combs had been a uh, prominent figure as the brand's ambassador from Ciroc Vodka since 2007. His dude is into everything. He co-founded the television network and news website Revolt in 2013. With his diverse ventures, Forbes estimated his net worth at a staggering $1 billion in 2022. Combs started his music career with an internship at Uptown Records in 1990. He quickly moved up the ranks and became talent director while learning from owner Andre Harrell. Combs helped develop artists such as Mary J. Blige and Jodeci. Combs was also known for throwing some of the most outrageous parties during his time in college. And as we all know, Combs is well known for his parties all the way up till today, which I think they've changed a bit since then. (laughs) But because of his reputation, Combs was put in charge of his first event. The first of many tragedies happened because of this. He was put in charge of promoting an AIDS fundraiser with the rap star Heavy D. Diddly, 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 diddly. <laughs> I like Heavy D. I went back and listened to him after I after I discovered this. Yeah. 
he was a he was ahead of his time, man. Heavy D and the boys. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he was actually really good. So the event was to take place at City College Auditorium in New York City after a charity basketball game. The promotion went really well, too well, and the ve- the event was oversold and without proper security. A stampede ensued, and nine people lost their lives. Damn. Yeah, I didn't know about this. No, I didn't either. So a crowd of people actually had broke through a glass door and rushed towards the gymnasium once the doors once the doors opened. Oh, excuse me. Let me go back. A crowd of people broke through a glass door and rushed towards the gymnasium once once at the doors, the doors opened towards the hall and not into the gymnasium. So like instead so of just open, being able to blast through the doors, out. yeah, they opened out <clears throat> instead of just blasting in. So this whole crowd of people come rushing the door and they hit the door and they don't just fly open because they open the other direction. And so they're all crushed against the doors. Um, nine people died from the in, in the incoming crowd. 23 others were injured, but there was no charges pressed or anything like that. It was a, you know, almost a riot, but it was it they didn't find any fault from the people who actually threw the event. No negligence. No negligence. In 1992, uh Diddy was actually fired from Uptown Records. I found a couple different reasons why. You know, at first it was said because he was difficult to difficult to work with by the owner. He said that Puff would act up, do strange things. He would like take off his shirt in the middle of the office. He didn't act professional. But as and he, they said he's real arrogant, and to this day he's extremely arrogant, dude. But uh, allegedly, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't made up your mind. Everything yet. <laughs> in this story is alleged. Don't sue me. Sources say <laughs> Scott didn't say. Sources did. I've heard him from many, many sources. I really did read that. All right. So, but the story did change. In an interview, uh, Andre Harrell actually claimed that he let Puffy go so he could spread his wings and fly. <laughs> sure. That's why you fire a lot of people. <laughs> He's too good for my company. Yeah. <laughs> He's a peacock. Yeah. You got to let him fly. <laughs> so in 1993, Combs started his own record label, Bad Boys Record, with Chris Wallace, the notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls. That was his first artist that, he basically left Uptown Records with him. Um, they soon as he started his record label, like record label, they quickly released Biggie's album "Ready to Die," which shot up the charts. Was actually cemented Bad Boy as you know they're the real thing now. They had they were charting already with their first first artist first release. So Combs ended up signing up uh, a lot more acts to Bad Boy after that, including Carl Thomas. Faith Evans, 112, Total, Father MC, The Hitmen. His in-house production team worked with Jodeci, Mary J. Blige, Usher, Little Kim, TLC, Mariah Carey, Boys to Men, SFV, Aretha Franklin, and others. So, I mean, the list goes on and on. There's been a lot of artists that have come through uh, Bad Boy. So Aretha was established. So yeah, she was a lot, established. a lot of those were newer uh, newer artists, but right. uh, Aretha's uh, yeah, Aretha she's old was... school. So yeah, so he's he's obviously developed some credibility early on. Yeah, he really did. Um, Maze and Locks also joined Bad Boy just as a widely publicized r- rivalry between East Coast and West Coast hip hop. See that once that all started, that began. It's when around the time that they had joined. So this is where the this is where the story begins with Biggie and Tupac. 
Biggie and Pac first met at a, L- at a party in L.A., and at first it was nothing but love. But there was no East Coast-West Coast rivalry back then. Pac was actually already a star, and Biggie was just getting started on the scene. At first, Pac would help Biggie, even on, even on several occasions, having Biggie on stage during his performances. You know, this is hard to think because you, when you think of Biggie and Pac, you think of all the rivalry between them. But they were actually friends before all of this went down. That's usually how it goes, though, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pac even let Biggie crash on his couch. Whenever he came to town, he let him crash on his couch. Um, whenever he's in LA, every time Biggie even went as far as asking Pac to be his manager, but Pac, Pac turned him down saying that Diddy would make him a star. He wasn't wrong. The two later linked up in the studio to make such songs as running from the police and house of pain. Biggie and Pac were both supposed to be working with another rapper by the name of little Sean, little Sean. Let me get it right. Little Sean. This is what went down that night. On November 30th, 1994, while in New York recording verses for a mixtape, Faran G, G, Shakur, was repeatedly distracted by his beeper. Music manager James Jimmy Henchman Roseman reportedly offered Shakur $7,000 to stop by Quad Studios. So this Jimmy Henchman, dirty dude. But it was said that Shakur actually owed him money and that the 7000 was to like he would take it off his debt kind of thing. Yeah. But um, at this time, uh, sorry, uh, that night to record a verse for it was for Little Sean. But uh, Shakur was uh, uh, Tupac was unsure. But he agreed to the session as he needed the cash, not only to pay him back, but to offset some of the legal costs for the case he was dealing with at the time. So he arrived with Stretch and one or two others. And in the lobby of the studio, as he's going up to do the recording, three men robbed and beat him at gunpoint. Shakur resisted and was shot. Tupac speculated that his shooting had been a setup. Dexter Isaac, a guy already serving a life sentence for murder, told XXL that henchmen is the one who set Pac up. That's the guy's actual name is Henchman. That's his no, that's his street. I was name. gonna say. This yeah, his real name is James Roseman. All right. So say, it's James that, Jimmy that's Henchman. That's a creepy name if that's if his you fucking ever, name. If you ever hear him talk about him, they call him Jimmy Henchman. Okay. Um so uh he said that he offered him two thousand five hundred dollars to to rob Pac. But at this point, Pac suspected that Biggie and Diddy were the ones who set the whole thing up. Uh, before it could be addressed, Pac was arrested for a sexual assault and sentenced to 18 months to four years in prison. So this is where this is where Diddy comes in. So Diddy's former bodyguard came out and claimed the reason Pac was there at the studio was to get robbed. He said that Pac owed Jimmy Henchman money and Pac refused to pay him. So Henchman, Diddy. And Andre Horrell, who we mentioned earlier, the one from Uptown Records, they all didn't like Pac. They wanted to shut him up because Pac, Pac was, you know, he's a mouthy dude. He's a, you know, he's an arrogant guy. You know, one of the greatest rappers ever. But, you know, arrogance goes along with that. And uh, he'd run in his mouth and they wanted to, they wanted to teach him a lesson. They didn't want to kill him. They didn't want to. They just wanted to, you know, they wanted to uh, scare him, you know. So 
it was said that the others didn't even know that Diddy was in the studio that night. You hear all this stuff that you know they were there and they went down to help or whatever, but the people who were there recording didn't even know Diddy was there. Because why? Because Diddy was actually there to spy on Biggie. It was another reason because he believed Biggie was actually writing for these other guys. You know, he's supposed to be part of Big Boy Records, but he's suspicious that you know Biggie was writing for them and recording song, you know, verses for songs for them, unbeknownst to him. So the reason no one knew Puff was there was because he was up in the office and not in the studios. So they were down in the studio doing the recording. Puff was upstairs with henchmen and Andre. What they hadn't counted on, though, was the fact that Pac wasn't having any of this shit. He refused to give up the jewelry that they tried to take from him, and he refused to get down and actually fought back. And uh, this resulted in them opening fire on him. So they were they were expecting just to rob him, get out the door. But if you know anything about Pac, he's not he's not putting up with that shit, and ended up ended up getting shot. Maybe he should just put up with this shit. But uh, but anyways, so one week one week later, after all this goes down, um, Biggie ended up dro- dropping a track, and the track was called "Who Shot Ya," which really sparked the beef. The song lyrics said, "Who shot ya?" Separate the weak from the obsolete. Hard to creep them Brooklyn streets. It's on, N-word. It's not going to rhyme now. <laughs> Fuck all that bickering beef. Tupac believed it was big, that Biggie was taking shots at him, and I don't know how he couldn't think so. Yeah, it sounds like All about the shooting. Another lyric was, I switched, I switched all that cocksucker G up. False move, get swish cheat. No, how's it go? I, I read it wrong, so it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> I I switched all that cocksucker. G's up. One false move gets swish cheesed up. Biggie came out right after because people started talking, saying that he was taking shots at Pac. And he said he said they all had it twisted that he wasn't actually talking about Pac in his songs. He said this stuff he had written before and it got released. It was just unfortunate timing. And I mean, don't get me wrong. They did talk about this type of stuff. But I mean, those lyrics are pretty, you know, yeah. you could see where you could see where Pac would think that he was talking about him. If it wasn't written about it, maybe you should have sat on this one for a bit. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Not release yeah, it a week timing later. timing is not smart. No, it's really stupid timing. So while Pac was in prison, he was in prison during this time, and none of the people that he was working with actually did anything for Pac while he was in jail. But he ended up getting a visit from one Suge Knight. And then soon after, he ended up signing with Death Row Records. Suge posted Pac's bail, and then... At the 1995 Source Awards, Suge called out Biggie and Diddy in front of the world, setting off the East Coast-West Coast rivalry that everybody knew about. I, I actually saw this, and it was uh, Pac came. I mean, not Pac, but uh, Suge came out on stage, and he made he makes a you know they get an award and up there in front of everybody. He's like, "All you people out here, if you're tired of your talking about Diddy specifically, if you're tired about your producer dancing around in all your videos and on your music." You know, come to us, sign with, you know, sign with Death Row. Just straight shots at, at Diddy, who does not like to be have anything said about him. Shook Knight was a fucking huge dude. He was. He is, dude. is. He's still alive. Right? Yeah, he's in prison yeah, now. He's a big He dude. ran some dude over with his SUV. How he ended up going to jail. 
It shook nice is scary, dude, because he did a Very, lot of shit. Very. Everybody knows he hung Vanilla yeah, Ice out of it. I remember Vanilla Ice. Him, I remember him telling that story on his behind the music. Vanilla Ice, yeah, hung him from a bell. <laughs> he said he was. What was he was in some movie with Adam Sandler? I can't remember what it was. He played a parody of himself. Yeah, but he yeah. made a he made some kind of comment about how every time that they play Ice Ice Baby, he has to pay like so. <laughs> I gotta pay like a dollar seventy five every time someone plays that song. <laughs> uh, so a month later, Death Row, one of the Death Row, and oh, let me go back. Yeah, so this set off the East versus West Coast rivalry. Then around a month later, a Death Row employee was shot and killed outside of a party. Big Jake Robles was killed at a party for Jermaine Dupri's birthday at the Platinum City Club in Atlanta, Georgia. It was said that Diddy's bodyguard, Anthony Jones, was behind it, but no charges were ever made. And this this guy, who's the employee, was one of Suge's good friends. I think it was a, someone he actually had grown up with. So, I mean, this cements this rivalry even deeper. Then in December of the same year, Snoop Dogg's trailer, so Snoop Dogg signed to death row. Snoop Dogg's trailer was shot up while he was filming a music video in New York City. So things slowed down a, a bit after that. But in March of 1996, Biggie and Pac actually ran into each other for the first time since Pac was shot. It was outside the Soul Train's Music Award after Biggie had just won an award. Biggie and his crew were chilling when a Hummer pulled up with Suge and Pac inside. Security had to intervene to keep them apart. Biggie was quoted as saying, I felt the darkness when he pulled up that night. Pac had changed. He said this wasn't the same Pac that he knew before. You know, after he got shot, he was a different he was a different dude. Understandable. Next, Pop dropped Pac dropped a diss track to Biggie and Puff Daddy. It's called Hit Him Up. On the trap, Pac claimed to have hooked up with Biggie's wife, Faith Evans, and he actually had just taken a picture with her and he put out a picture of the two of them together. Fucking ruthless. <laughs> But Biggie's entire crew was ready to clap back. But Biggie told him not to. He wanted everybody to just chill. And, you know, this is the one thing I I, I got to say. Through all of this, I don't think Biggie wanted any of this. I think Biggie still considered Pac a friend. Yeah. And he did not want any of this. But it just grew out of control. But Pac thought he was involved in it. So, I mean, it's hard to come back from that. But I don't think Biggie, I don't think Biggie had anything to do with it. I truly believe that it was, it was Diddy. Henchman and uh, Andre. You think there's other people pushing the buttons at this point? For sure. And I don't think I don't think Biggie. Not at this point. You know, maybe after, but at this point, I don't think Biggie had anything to do with it. I think it's true that that there was rumors that Biggie wanted to leave, that he didn't want to stay with. He didn't want to stay with Diddy. You know, that's why he thought he was writing. That's why he thought he was writing for other people. That's why he was worried about what he was doing and checking up on him and everything. So, but actually, as the story goes, people also said that Pac wanted to squash the beef. That he didn't, after Biggie had actually left Las Vegas, they said that Pac actually wanted away from Death Row. And if you know anything about Death Row, a lot of people don't know about this hip hop stuff. But at this point, Death Row was, uh, it was Dre's. Dre had actually was running Death Row, but he left and created Aftermath. And this is, and he left the label to, uh, Shook, you know, because Dre wanted out of all this bullshit. So he went and started Aftermath. So, I mean, 
things weren't nice. It weren't good over at death row. So there's, there's rumors that said that Pac actually wanted out at this time too. So the worst of this is, this is all true. Diddy wanted, I mean, uh, Biggie wanted out of this shit. Pac wanted out of this shit. And guess what? They're the two that get it in the end, you know? So a few months later, after Pac released Hit Him Up on September 7th, 1996, Shakur found himself in the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. There, He was there to celebrate his business partner, uh, Tracy Darnell Robinson's birthday. The occasion led them to the, the Bruce Selden versus Mike Tyson boxing match at the MGM Grand, where Suge Knight also joined in on the excitement. And nothing was bigger back in the 90s than a Tyson fight, dude. Yeah. Those were like the biggest thing they could ever They fight generally didn't ever. last very long, but they were a but big that, event. And this yeah. one didn't. This was no. a quick match. I, I vaguely remember that dude's name, but I'm assuming it was a quick knockout. Yeah, if you barely remember his name, you know it's a quick knockout with Tyson. How many people that he fought do you remember other than like Holyfield and, uh, you know. I mean, Foreman. Uh, and Yeah. yeah. And a couple not, big ones. Not but very he, many. He generally ran through guys so fast they didn't yep. even register. Oh, he was a beast. Yeah. <laughs> so. But as the night unfolded, the scene shifted to the hotel lobby. A member of Knight's crew spotted a gentleman by the name of Orlando Baby Lane Anderson. Orlando Anderson. This name comes up later. He was a Southside Compton Crip. And it turned out that Anderson had actually attempted to pull off a robbery on the group earlier in the year. But the hotel surveillance captured footage of the intense altercation that ensued. Dude, it was an all-out brawl. They kicked the shit out of that dude. You can go watch this. This video is on YouTube. You can find it anywhere. And there's a huge brawl that breaks out in the lobby of the of the hotel. And they beat the hell out of this dude. You can see Pac. I'm pretty sure they, I think you see him kicking him in the head and stuff. I mean, he was down. They beat the hell out of him. But following the incident, Shakur took a brief detour back to his hotel room before linking up with Suge again. Then then took off to their destination. Shakur and Knight set off for the Death Row Nightclub, Club 662. They were cruising in a black BMW 750IL sedan, part of a larger convoy of the crew. Around 11.15 p.m., while waiting at a stoplight, a sleek white Cadillac sedan, a late model four-door, pulled up on the passenger side. Suddenly, shots rang out from within the car. Shakur bore the the brunt of the attack getting hit four times, once in the arm, once in the thigh, and twice in the chest. One of those bullets found its way into his right lung. Knight, who was with Shakur, had shards hitting his head. He wasn't actually shot, but he got hit with shards from the, I don't know if it was glass shards or what it was. He was cut up, but he wasn't shot. Notably, Frank Alexander, who was Shakur's bodyguard, he wasn't in the car at the time. It was later revealed that he'd been assigned to drive Shakur's girlfriend, uh, Jones, Cadeta, I don't know, Cadeta Jones. He was he was supposed to drive her and her car back. But in the aftermath, Pac was swiftly rushed to University Medical Center of Southern Nevada. There, medical professionals put him on life support. However, despite their efforts, on the afternoon of September 13, 1996, Tupac Shakur succumbed to internal bleeding in the intensive care unit. His official time of death was recorded at 4.03 p.m. But Tupac Shakur's case went cold. There was tons of leads coming in, but no arrests were ever made. That was until September 29th, 2023. 
This is 27 years after his death. You did they, that math fast. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> you guys hear a splice in there? <laughs> a little bit of a butcher job. <laughs> Scott's like goodwill hunting. Uh, let's let's uh, hope that came out in the wash. <laughs> The AP reported the Las Vegas police had arrested a suspect, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis, in Shakur's murder. Police had two months previously served a search warrant at his wife's home in in Las Vegas suburb of Henderson. Davis pleaded not guilty on November 2nd, 2023 in Las Vegas. The police had had Dwayne Davis as a suspect from the start. But what eventually helped take the man down was his own words. And Dwayne is Keefe D. Keefe D was the uncle of Orlando Baby Lane Anderson, the gentleman who was kicked the shit out of in the uh, lobby of the hotel prior to this. He was also identified as a passenger and possible shooter that night. Dwayne had gotten on several different podcasts, not this one, saying that he was in a car when Tupac was killed. I mean, so this dude literally went on podcast saying that he was there. I guess you get this sense, false sense of security after 27 yeah, years 27 go by years and no one's made an arrest. Yeah. Not only that, dude, he went as far as to say that he actually handed the shooter his weapon. I mean, <laughs> he also, Keefe D, released a book called Compton Street Legends where he said he was one of the two eyewitnesses to the murder. Wow. So, I mean, the dude literally just, I, I, it has to be the fact he just had to feel safe. He has to f- have felt after this amount of time. There's no statute of limitations on murder. No. Not I, to mention retribution <clears throat> from anybody's crew for bragging about it. What a fucking idiot. So, I mean, the fact that uh, the fact that he said this stuff is the reason that they could get a search warrant, you know? He would not go as far as saying who pull, pulled the trigger, you know, because of the rules of the street. Which I find so funny. They're like, well, we can't say who shot him. We can't say who did this and that. But the first thing, like with Pac, he gets shot by he doesn't know who. And he says it's Biggie. And <laughs> he says it's Biggie. And did. we're not going to say who shot us. Fucking Biggie and Diddy shot me. <laughs> so, like I said, he said he wouldn't go as far as saying who pulled the trigger. But this actually brought new interest into the case. Because people, the police, they hear this shit. You know, people tell them. And the police were able to use his confession, like I said, to secure a search warrant. There were four people in the car that night, and Keefe D was the only man still alive. Think about that. These these guys are in their 20s, so all of them should be like in their 40s. Every one of them is dead. This kind of this lifestyle, man, you know? Yeah, sure. You think it and and they didn't and they didn't just die. They've been dead for a while, you know? One of them was right after this. Interesting fact about Keefe D, some people don't know, he was actually known to hang out with and even work for uh, Sean Diddy Combs as his bodyguard. Odd, huh? It had been said that Diddy had actually offered to pay Keefe D $1 million to kill both Pac and Suge Knight that night. The money was given to a third party. I I had the guy's name and I didn't write it down. But Keefe... He claims that he actually never reported, never received the money. So did he gave the money to this dude who bounced and took the money? Keefe D is one of the four. And supposedly this is all circumstantial. Everything's circumstantial people, but uh, it takes the money and bounces. You know, Keefe D gets nothing, but he, you know, but the intent was to kill both Pac 
and Suge. But six months after the death of Tupac, tragedy would strike again, this time to an associate of, of Diddy. The legendary Biggie Smalls was said to be gunned down in a drive-by in retaliation for the death of Tupac. Or was it? The murder of Biggie Smalls has never been solved. This case is still wide open. But there are several theories that would believe what had actually happened to the big man. There's been rumors for some time that Biggie was, like I said before, Biggie was thinking about leaving Bad Boy. Another bodyguard of Diddy's. See, these are the people. It's funny because bodyguards come up a lot in all of this, and they will in the second part, too. But well, they see and hear everything. They're there. And these people get very, very comfortable, and they start thinking they're their friends or family. They're employees, you know? And you piss them off and you fire them, who's going to talk? No, these yeah. people know more They've than anybody. They know more than their friends. They're there for everything, you know? And bodyguards come up through this a lot. So another bodyguard of Diddy's, this guy goes by Uncle Ron, who recently came forward and claimed that Diddy had offered him $30,000 to kill Biggie. Gene Deal, this is another, this Gene Deal is another bodyguard of Diddy's who has recently come out and spilled all kinds of fucking beans. So Gene, uh, Gene Deal, his other bodyguard, claimed that it wasn't actually a drive-by that night, but that car had been sitting on the corner for hours waiting for Biggie's car to, to drive by. It was actually said that Diddy was in the lead car in front of Biggie, and when they got to the red light, the first two cars went through the red light. But Diddy, this is all speculatory, but they said that Diddy radioed back telling Biggie's driver to actually stop at the light. And this is where, and this is where Biggie is shot down. So, I mean... That's all speculative, for sure. So the driver in Biggie's car knew it was coming, and he was in the same car? No, he was just, they radioed back to him and told him to stop. But he didn't know. So a lot of times when they're going through, when these guys travel, they travel in a caravan like the fucking president going through. I thought you were saying the driver knew the shooting was coming. I was like, there's no fucking way I'm sitting beside a guy. No, I don't think he knew that it was coming, and and that is all speculatory. But, uh, and also, I mean, this Ronnie coming out and saying that he was offered this money. People have believed this for a long time. But, I mean, you you think, oh, well, obviously, you know, they killed Pac, so they killed Biggie. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what happened. I believe Diddy is involved in all of this. Yeah, I believe he's the one that had, I mean, this is all, this is just my belief. It's all speculative. <laughs> you can't prove anything. <laughs> we don't have any money. You're worried about a lawsuit. There's no lawsuit. Right? You, can, you can sue us for it. They can sue me <laughs> I'll give you $20 a week for the next 675 years. <laughs> you can have our microphones. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. So we're going to stop it there for this half. But uh, we're going to come back in part two and tell you, you know, what's going on these days. And some more, you know, speculative. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So we're going to end it here. But you guys aren't going to have to wait. We're going to drop both of them together. So you won't have to wait for anything. All right. Let's head to the fire pit. Let's go to the fire pit. I guess you know what time it is. Let's get into the fire pit. All right, guys. So like we said, we always say, everyone, if you guys want your stories read, 
send them into beyond the shadows 207 at gmail.com they don't have to be read you can record them you can make a video you can do whatever you want just get them in you can send them to us on all the socials this one comes to us from justin this justin's in the navy we want to thank him for his service right off and absolutely we, thank you we justin. want him want to let him know that he will be receiving the beyond the shadows t-shirt justin hit us up and we will get that sent out to you. We're just going to need to get your address and some information from you. Uh, we need your size, obviously. Yeah. And size, too. <clears throat> yep. All right, Ryan. Let's hear it. Hey, guys. My name is Justin, and I'm a big fan of the show. I started listening about a month ago when I heard about you guys on the Urban Legends podcast on Spotify. And I've already binged you guys enough to be mostly caught up. So thank you for that as well. Uh, my fire pit story is about my experience in the Bermuda Triangle in 2019. I'm active duty Navy, and I was stationed on the USS Bataan, LHD-5. Sometime towards the end of 2019, I'm unsure of the exact dates, I was on and underway aboard Bataan, working up towards our 2019-2020 deployment. While we were out to sea, Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas and our ship was sent to assist in hurricane relief. But when we got there, we were told they didn't require assistance due to a number of other countries being there to assist in the relief effort. So because our government wanted us to help, but theirs didn't want our help, we kind of just hung out in the area until we received further orders. That section of ocean is one of the uh, corners of the Bermuda Triangle. And things got very creepy there. The entire time we were there, a thick fog surrounded the ship. We were there for about a week, and that fog never went away. On at least one occasion, I was outside on a catwalk at night conducting maintenance when I saw a mysterious light floating above the ship, but also off to the side, so there was no way it was attached to the ship. On a ship, uh, on a ship rumors spread fast. And the rumor that was quickly spreading amongst us, lower enlisted, is that we were actually lost in the Bermuda Triangle. But that was unconfirmed. We eventually made it back home, but it was definitely a creepy place to be. Uh, keep up the great work on the podcast, guys. Uh, you know what? I very, respect for, very respectfully, Justin. I love uh, the Bermuda Triangle stuff. We're gonna have to do it. We're gonna have to do an episode on this. But you know, when we were kids growing up. Everything was about the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, for sure. The Bermuda Triangle and quicksand. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and there's so many good stories that come out of there. And to actually hear something that's actually happening in real life, you know, because you, you don't hear a lot about it anymore. No, you used to, but this, uh, is, this, this is really cool. That's a, that's a great story, Justin. Uh, thanks for sharing it. Like Scott said, thank you very much for your service as well. Yeah, and I think in, actually in this area, I think there's, there is some UFO activity that's seen these days in the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle area. Yeah, they so. haven't put that to rest. Uh, science still disagrees on what's going on there. I mean, one of the theories is there's so much just shipping lanes. There's so much activity in that area that, of course, stuff is going to disappear. Right. But that's a minority theory. And then you've got the UFOs. You've got Atlantis. You've got aliens. I mean, so, there's so many so theories. Yeah. But are there a lot of disappearances and weird shit there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't discount that. It's just why. Uh, so speaking of what you were saying, one of my future ones coming up, I'm going to do the Bermuda Triangle real soon. Probably not next week, 
but I think three weeks from now. I'm, I'm, halfway, nice. I'm halfway into it. I've been working on that for a while. All so. inspired by you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> we so really good, appreciate Good timing, Justin. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for writing in. Yeah. Uh, anybody else that's got a story, send yeah. them in. Like the we said. 207 at gmail.com. Thanks for your service, and uh, get with us so we can get you that, that shirt out to you. So the rest of you guys, like you said, if you got stories, send them in. Any, any of our socials or send them to our email, beyondtheshadows207 at gmail.com. All right, guys. We'll catch you in the next. Later, guys. Hello, Beyond the Shadows listeners. I am Rachel. And I'm Heather. We are the hosts of Like Mother, Like Murder. We bring you the good, the badass, and the crime. Each week, we bring you stories from missing and murdered to survivors and women who empower you. And of course, some mom talk sprinkled in. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts at Like Mother, Like Murder. And give us a follow on social media so that we can say hi. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye.